All right, would you join me in Exodus chapter 13? We are going to jump into our text for the morning in just a minute. Uh, we are studying the book of Exodus and have been doing so for several months now. We're in chapter 13 today. If you need a Bible, no problem. There are some on the seats in front of you. So go ahead and grab one. Uh, or again, if you want to follow along on your phone or device, however you can find Exodus 13, go ahead and do that. And just a heads up, we are nearing the end of the first major section in the book of Exodus. Okay, so the book of Exodus can roughly be divided into the first 15 chapters or so, which is uh, what we've been looking at, God leading the Israelites out of Egypt, rescuing them, the plagues, and crossing the Red Sea, and all that. Uh, But then there's a a pretty clear shift where the story uh, changes, and now the people of God have left Egypt in chapter 15 and on, And God gives them the law and his commandments and the Ten Commandments come and the covenant at Sinai takes place. And so there's these, uh, a lot of chapters about God's law and commands and what it means to be in relationship with God. So I just briefly want us to see the order of things in the book of Exodus. Okay, think about that. First, there is rescue and salvation and deliverance from Egypt. And then... Then comes law. Then comes commandments. Then comes, hey, here's how you are to live. Okay? Rescue, then obedience. Salvation, then commands and obedience. And that's really important for us to see because, again, typically our uh, default position with, with religion is to say, I obey, therefore God loves me. I obey, therefore God will accept me. So I just got to jump through the hoops, do the spiritual stuff, and so God's going to be happy with me. But, but notice That's the opposite of what Exodus shows us. God rescues us. He saves us first. Then he teaches us to obey. Then he shows us how to walk in his ways. Someone once said, God catches his fish, then he cleans them. Okay? So it's important for us to see that pattern because the same is true for our life in Christ. Right? He saves us. He forgives us of our sins through no work of our own, but through his grace. And then, then he teaches us his ways. He calls us to follow him and obey him. And so we see that same pattern here in the book of Exodus. But again, uh, we'll be in chapter 13 today. And just a heads up, we're going to take a short break after uh, chapter 15 or middle of chapter 15 to shift our focus elsewhere. Because that's such a contained section is the first chunk of Exodus. Been doing that for several months. We're going to take a little break, study the New Testament uh, book of Galatians for a little while uh, in a couple weeks. So a few more weeks of Exodus. Sound good? Okay. All right. Hey, friends, I'm not a fan of layovers. Uh, When I travel, I do not like sitting in airports longer than I have to. Maybe you can relate. I think the longest uh, layover I've had was about seven or eight hours in London, Heathrow Airport, which is a terrible airport just in every way, just so you know. But I was there for about seven or eight hours, and talking with people this morning, I, I learned that that's not the longest layover out there, right? Some of you maybe have stories of longer than that, being stuck in an airport or stuck on a plane, Janice was saying she had to sit on a plane on the runway for seven hours. Not even move, not even flight, just seven hours waiting to be able to take off. So layovers are terrible, which is one of the reasons why if you travel and you book flights, you probably look for a direct flight, right? Like give me from point A to point B, fast, simple, easy. I don't want extra stops. I don't want layovers. When I go to Denver, I don't want to have to go to LA first and then to Denver. Okay. One time we were flying home from uh, St. Louis and they flew us to Seattle and then down to SFO, right? 
don't want to have to do that. Just direct flight A to B as quick as possible. Whoever said that the journey, excuse me, that life is about the journey and not the destination must not have kids, okay? I don't, I don't trust that person. Maybe it's a cute phrase you could put on a poster in your room somewhere or on your Instagram page, but in real life, no, thank you, don't want the scenic route, just get me there as fast as possible. Anyone relate? Yeah. Unfortunately, if you can relate with that, people like me, uh, God often uses layovers in our lives. When we think about our growth in the Lord, our life trajectory, our relationship with Jesus, and how God matures us, rarely does God book a direct flight for us from point A to point B. Often he uses layovers, he uses the scenic route in our lives. There's some zigzags rather than a straight line. And we're actually going to see that in the text this morning as God is leading his people out of Egypt, right? After this a long showdown between God and Pharaoh. There are plagues and all these, uh, this destruction that comes upon the land of Egypt. And so Pharaoh, if you've been following the story, finally says, okay, fine, you can go. People of God, Israelites, Hebrews, get out of here. Get out of Egypt. I don't want you here anymore. And he lets them go. And so after 430 years in Egypt, the people of God have packed their bags, a small little travel bag, and they head out. And that's where we pick up the story in verse 17 of chapter 13. Let's take a look. It says, When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though that was shorter. For God said, If they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led the people around by the desert road toward the sea. The Israelites went up out of Egypt ready for battle. So the text tells us that as the people are leaving Egypt, they do not go the way of the Philistine country, it says. Verse 17, it points to this. They're headed from Egypt to the promised land, to the land of Canaan. And in the ancient world, there was a direct way to get there. It was called the way of the Philistines or the way of Horus or some would call it the Via Maris, which was the way of the sea. And it basically was this ancient freeway. Okay, this ancient highway that went from Egypt to Canaan and out uh, further into the Middle East that went along the Mediterranean coast. And we actually have a picture here of what the route would have looked like. Okay, point A is Egypt. Point B is the land of Canaan. And that highlighted line there is, that's the freeway. Okay, that's the direct route from point A to point B. It was uh, used frequently for trade. It was a key uh, route to have control over militarily. Uh, it was a very significant highway in the ancient world. And so if the people were going to go from Egypt to Canaan, they would naturally take the way of the Philistines. They would take this ancient highway. But that's not how God led them, right? What does the text say? It says, verse 17, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though that was shorter. They didn't go that way. For God said, if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. And so God led the people around by the desert road toward the Red Sea. So the route that God uses instead, we see on the next screen here, uh, the red line there. So rather than A to B, he takes them, again, towards the desert, towards the Red Sea, down, essentially out into the wilderness. Again, point B is still the destination. That's where they're going to end up eventually. But they're going roughly the route of that red line there. It's the scenic route, right? 
This isn't a direct flight, people. They have a, a layover or two or three. And, and I wonder if as the people are setting out from Egypt, think about this, 430 years in Egypt, God's setting us free, here we go. Moses, can we have the itinerary? Sure, hey, we're going down towards the desert and the Red Sea. They say, what? Like, did, did you use Google Maps? Did you punch in the address to where we're going? Because this doesn't seem like the fastest route. Like, here Moses is, and they're probably like, here he goes again. He's getting off the main highway, thinking he knows a faster way, using the surface streets rather than the highway. He's going to get us lost. It's going to take actually longer. But here he goes again. That's the route that they had. And friends, if we think about this in the ancient world, we can, again, think about our own lives today and what it might mean for us, and the reality that, that God often takes us on the scenic route. God doesn't book a direct flight for us from point A to B very often. And so think about this maybe in terms of your career. Maybe you want your career path to be quite smooth. And you say, uh, point B is upper management in my organization, or reaching a higher level in my field, or a, a bigger paycheck. I want to uh, move up the latter, have a greater influence in my work life. Say, okay, so I go to school, then what comes after school? Maybe internship, or maybe internship while I'm in school, then maybe full-time job, then maybe a raise, then a supervisor position, then a management position, right? Just kind of moving up the ladder, nice and easy, but it doesn't always go that way, does it? Instead, maybe we spend years maybe being overlooked for promotions, or make several lateral moves, in our jobs, or God calls us to change career paths altogether and sends us in a different direction. See, that's not, this wasn't the direct route I thought at all. Or maybe point B for us is a, is a relationship goal. Right? We're single and we, we want to be married or we want to have a family. We want something to change in our relational world. So we say, okay, how's, how do things happen? You, you meet and go on some great dates and there's instant chemistry, and then you get engaged, and then you get married, and then kids come along up and to the right, right? Here we go. We're getting to point B rather quickly. But again, that doesn't always happen for us, does it? And many of us spend years as single adults, or have been in and out of maybe failed relationships. And we wonder why things haven't developed in the way that we, we hoped they would. God's taking us on kind of the scenic route. Or maybe we could think about this in, in a relation to our, our, our impact in the world, right? Maybe you have a heart for ministry or for having an impact in the world. Maybe you want to work for a nonprofit. You have some kind of passion project. You want to make a difference out in the world. And so you, want to, you want to build your platform in some way. Uh, you want to get your company's name out there. You want to have a bigger, a bigger platform and influence than you currently do, but, but it seems like things don't quite take off. Right? There's, again, several lateral moves, or you don't get the, kind of the recognition or the, the notice that you, you think should be there for your work, and, and the impact that you hope you'll have never takes off. It never develops, and you find yourself on a different course. In chapter 13, God's, he's not taking his people on the most direct route or the most obvious route. Why? Well, the text tells us, right, verse 17, for God said, if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So the way of the Philistines was more direct. It was faster, but it had challenges along the way that the people weren't ready for. It was more heavily guarded, more of a military presence there, 
more of a likelihood that the people would get into war and battle, and they'd be discouraged. They weren't prepared for that. So they possibly would turn around and go back to Egypt. God knew they might hit these hurdles. They might lose hope. So we're going to go a different direction. So there, there's a reason for the scenic route. There's a reason for the layovers. The best route is not always the shortest route. A pastor named Don Sanukian perfectly captured this. He was preaching on this text, actually, and he said, with God, often the shortest distance between two points is a zigzag. Right in geometry, we learn the shortest distance between two points is what? A straight line. He says, yeah, but with God, it's often a zigzag. That's what we see here in the text. Zigzag route, layovers. And it's easy for us in that place to grow impatient, right? To grow antsy, to wonder why. Why has God not answered these prayers in the way that I think he should or hope he will? We question, we get frustrated, we doubt. It's very natural to feel those things. But I want us to see, I want us to be encouraged in this text. That when that's happening in our lives, we're taking the scenic route, God's up to something. God knows what he's doing. There's reasons behind it. Maybe the reason that God takes us on this route is that there are, again, unforeseen challenges ahead. There are problems that would come our way on the direct route. And he knows it. We can't necessarily see them, but God knows what's ahead. He says, hey, if they go this way, there's going to be hurdles, there's going to be difficulty, there's going to be things that they are not ready for. God wants us to avoid those things. Have you ever looked back at your life and prayed this prayer? Lord, thank you for not saying yes to those other prayers. Have you ever looked at situations in your life and said, Lord, if you opened that door how I asked you to, if you said yes to that prayer the way I was hoping you would, my life would have gone a completely different direction. I couldn't see it at the time. But oh, it would have been hard. I wouldn't have been where I am today. There would have been heartbreak and failure and maybe even disaster. So thank you, Lord, for saying no to that route, even though for me at the time it looked, it looked great. It looked faster. It looked better. Thank you for leading me the roundabout way. I remember in, in seminary, Amber and I moved out to Denver. We were looking for a new church. Uh, we'd only been in town for a few months, and we started going to this one church uh, for, for several months. And we thought, hey, this is, this is going to be our church. We're going to plug in here. We're going to be able to serve here. I'm going to be able to grow here. Uh, but the opportunities there never really developed. Doors didn't really open. Uh, even though for several months we were faithful, attending, uh, trying to serve, trying to be involved, it just never quite uh, resulted in in much opportunity. And so we said, okay, maybe, maybe this isn't the place God has for us. And so we prayed and thought, and eventually God led us to a different church uh, called Southern Gables Church, which is a church in Denver where uh, we were at for, for years, for years and years and years, through seminary, after seminary. It was the, the church I was serving at before coming here. And that church was an incredible blessing to Amber and I. And we think about our lives there. I think we wouldn't be the people we are today if, if we had stayed at that other church. We wouldn't be where we are today. We wouldn't be who we are today. We wouldn't have learned the things we've learned. We think about some of our best friends in the world, and we're like, we never would have met them if God had opened the doors at that first church. So we're so grateful. We say, thank you, 
Lord, for, for leading us elsewhere, when at the time we couldn't see it, at the time we didn't really understand why things were so difficult the way they were. And later we looked back and saw that at that original church, there was a lot of issues that came out, a lot of unhealthy cultural dynamics, a lot of uh, leadership turnover, and a pastor was leaving in the near future after we left. And it just, God knew that was not going to be a healthy situation for us. That was not going to be the place for us at that time. So we're grateful that he moved us along. So maybe, maybe for you, again, you look at your life and you can't see the challenges that are ahead on the, the path that you think is the most direct, the path that you think is the best, but God can see them. And so he might redirect you to a better way. It's possible also that God would lead you on the scenic route because he wants to do a work within you. He wants to develop something within you. He wants to develop your heart. He wants to develop your character. Sometimes we have the skill, the gifting, the ability to do something, do a certain job, have a certain platform, have a certain influence, but we don't have the character to sustain us in it. Right? And one of the most dangerous places for us to be is in a, a position where our skill outweighs our character. Right? A quick rise to, to influence or prominence or in a, in a company, but if we don't have the characters, the stability, the heart to be able to navigate that, it could destroy us. So sometimes God in his grace shields us from that, leads us in another way, helps us grow and learn and develop and mature before arriving at the next step. Sometimes God leads us on the scenic route because he wants us to learn to trust him. You see with the people of Israel, that God takes them on the scenic route and they're going to have to rely on him in ways that they wouldn't have had to if they went straight to the promised land. They take the direct route and got there quick. They wouldn't have had to learn to trust him in the wilderness. So we see years and years of God providing for his people, God protecting his people, really forcing his people to, to count on him to pray differently, to trust differently than they would have had they just arrived at their destination in an easy way. So sometimes God wants us to take the scenic route so we can learn to trust him in that place. So again, there are different reasons for the potential zigzags in our lives. But I want us to, to learn that when we're on the layover, taking the scenic route, trust that God knows what he's doing, that God's leading us, God's with us, God has his purposes for those changes in our lives. This is just two verses so far, people. We're going to be here a long time. This is just two verses. Let's keep going, okay? Verse 19. It says, Moses took the bones of Joseph with him because Joseph had made the Israelites swear an oath. He said, God will surely come to your aid, and then you must carry my bones up with you from this place. We're not going to get into those verses uh, too much other than just to say this is a reference back to the end of Genesis where Joseph, one of the sons of Jacob, uh, who originally came down to Egypt, uh, as he's dying, uh, makes his brothers swear an oath, his people swear an oath, that when they leave Egypt, when God comes to rescue them, they will carry his bones out of Egypt and into the promised land. And so it's just a, an example of his trust in the Lord, his confidence in the Lord, that God would keep his word, that God would keep his promises, that God would rescue them, because he says, when that happens, bring my bones out with you. 
And they're doing just that here in the text. Verse 20. After leaving Succoth, they camped at Etham on the edge of the desert. By day, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light so that they could travel by day or night. Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. So notice how God is leading his people. What's the text tell us? He's going ahead of them in in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. So at all times, God is out in front, visible for his people to see where they are going, to see that God is with them. And yes, this is supernatural. Yes, this is a miraculous event. Yes, this might be hard for some of us to believe or to embrace that something like this actually happened. But it did. And sometimes we'll try to explain it away. Sometimes modern scholars will say, well, this, maybe there was like a big dust storm and like it got really windy and people were like, oh my goodness, it's the presence of God leading us. But the, the text is, is clear that this is a, a supernatural event without uh, simple, natural explanations. But it's God showing up that his presence might be seen by his people. Day or night, they could look up and see our God is with us. Our God is leading us. In other places in the Old Testament, we see God's presence described in a similar fashion, like fire. Think about Exodus chapter 3 when he shows up to Moses and calls Moses. What do we find there? A, a burning bush. Then we see later in the wilderness, on the top of Mount Sinai, God's presence is often represented by fire. And so here in Exodus 13, 21, the Lord is present with his people in this cloud of, excuse me, pillar of cloud and pillar of fire at night. And it's not just some, some random spectacle. There's a purpose behind it. God wants his people to see that he's with them. He wants his people to be able to look up day and night and say, God is with you. We might not know where we're going. We might not know the route. This might be uh, really the scenic route. A lot of detours here. But God's with us. God's with us. And it shows us that it's more important for us to know the presence of God than it is to know the details of the plan. It's more important for us to know the presence of God than it is to know the specific details of the plan or the route that he's taking us on. But sometimes this is hard for us to embrace. And we, frankly, would prefer God to operate a little bit more like a travel agent. Because what does a travel agent do for us? We go to them and say, hey, how do I get from point A to point B? I want it to be fast. I want it to be fairly cheap. Can you book this for me? Can you make this trip happen? And so they say, okay, yeah, I'll book your trip. I'll get you from point A to point B. And then uh, see you later. Have fun. Right? Like, what would happen if your travel agent was like, hey, can I come on this trip with you? You'd say, no, weirdo. This is for me and my family. So thanks for doing your job, booking our flight. Now, you know, have a nice day. We're going to be on our way. But God is not a travel agent. And in fact, often he operates more like a tour guide. Think about it. What does a tour guide do? A tour guide says, hey, I'm on the journey with you. 
hey, I'm going to walk alongside you. Hey, while we go, I'm going to teach you. I'm going to point things out. I'm going to guide you. And help, I'm going to help you avoid some, some errors here on this journey. I'm going to help you navigate this terrain. I'm, I'm with you. You can ask me questions. Let's go. Let's, let's talk. Again, sometimes we're like, uh, tour guide, no thanks. I'll, I'll take the travel agent, Jesus. It's just book the flight, tell me how to get there, and then give me some space. You know, and sometimes we do that. We're like, hey, okay, I want travel agent Jesus. So just, Jesus, take me to heaven, right? Show me the way to eternal life. Give me to point B, and as long as that transaction is secure, as long as I know where I'm going to be when I die, then I'm going to go back to my uh, regular life. Okay, so I just, I want to get from A to B, and okay, you've secured that for me, thank you. Now I'm just going to go live uh, how I want to and how I was before. Or, or we use travel agent Jesus when we uh, pray only in crisis. Right, so we don't have much of a prayer life unless, unless something goes wrong. We pray these crisis prayers. Lord, help. Lord, get me out of this mess. Right, just the way you would call a travel agent if you missed a flight or Something got delayed or something got canceled. You talk to your travel agent and say, hey, can you fix this? Can you, I, I don't know how to get out of this mess, but I know you do, so can you help it? And they're like, yeah, sure, okay, I'll work it out for you. Great, okay, you're back on track. And they're like, all right, thanks, see you later. And they're like, hey, are you, can I come on the trip again? You're like, no, weirdo, just let me do my thing. Right? That, that's travel agent, Jesus. But again, the Lord's like a tour. He's with us. And so our, our prayer life can be much more regular, intimate, relational. And that, we use travel agent Jesus if we say, okay, the Bible's just a list of rules, just some commands. It teaches me how to live a good life, a moral life, a life that will earn God's blessings. So I keep the rules so that I avoid the bad stuff, get the good stuff from God. That's what the Bible is. That's the travel agent view. Rather than saying, no, actually, Scripture, the Bible, is a way to, it leads us into relationship with God. It helps us engage with God to know how to connect with God in the first place, and how to communicate with him, what that relationship is supposed to look like. So friends, God is much more like a tour guide than he is a travel agent. He wants to be with us, to lead us on this journey. And so he reminds the people in Exodus chapter 13, I'm here, you can see me. I'm out in front, leading you. But quickly, we all realize that we don't wake up in the morning and see a pillar of cloud. Like, it's not like you become a Christian and the next day and you wake up and you're like, all right, this pillar of cloud outside of my house is going to lead me to work. And it's nighttime. I have a pillar of fire helping me get home from work. We know that that doesn't happen today. And we shouldn't expect God to lead us in the same way today as he did in Exodus chapter 13. And so what does it look like today to experience the presence of God and God's leading and direction in our lives? Well, yeah, we can look to the teaching of Jesus in the New Testament. Particularly, John 14 comes to mind. I'll read a few verses for us. John 14, verse 15 says, If you love me, this is Jesus speaking, keep my commands, and I'll ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. A little later in that chapter, verse 26, says, But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. 
Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. So Jesus promises us the gift of the Holy Spirit. That as we go through life, we will not have a cloud or a pillar of fire out in front of us leading us, but we will have the presence of God in our lives. His indwelling Holy Spirit with every believer. God's presence today is not found in in some temple or in uh, the church building. It's found in his people, both individually and collectively. As we gather, the presence of God is with us. And so, friends, if, if you are a Christian, if you have put your faith in Jesus as Lord and Savior, he promises you the gift of the Holy Spirit. And this is not some second blessing, some future thing for like super Christians. You know, like second tier Christians, they're really serious Christians, they get the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then there's the rest of us regular Christians. No. Every Christian is given the gift of the Holy Spirit when you believe. Jesus sends his Spirit to dwell within us, to change us, to teach us, the text says, to guide us, to remind us of what is true. Elsewhere it says he convicts us of sin, points us to Jesus. It's God's personal presence with us. That's how God leads us today. That's how God guides us today. That's how we can experience God with us. And so this is a reminder as we go on this journey of life that has its zigzags and its layovers, it's the scenic route at times, remember the presence of God with with you, with us. He's near. We can lean into that reality. We can pray to him. Hear from him as you open his word. He's near to us when we are brokenhearted. We can enjoy him and enjoy his presence. Friends, the the zigzags and the layovers in life that we've been talking about today uh, apply to our everyday lives and circumstances, but I also want us to see how the gospel, the good news of Jesus, uh, connects to this. Okay, so think with me on this for a moment. When it came to saving the world and God uh, reconciling sinners to himself and restoring his good world that was now broken and marred by sin, uh, sometimes people in the Old Testament thought, well, that's going to be a fairly direct route from A to B. Okay, so A is broken, sinful people, broken, sinful world. Point B is healed world, restoration, uh, forgiven uh, people and sinners and so on. So they would say, okay, God's going to show up. He's going to wipe out the bad guys. He's going to save the good guys. And then we're going to go off into eternity in the new heavens and the new earth with the Lord forever, right? Point A to point B, pretty direct, pretty easy. And so when Jesus came on the scene, that's what people expected. Hey, this is the Messiah, He's here. Okay, well, that means then he's going to be a military leader. He's going to wipe out the bad guys. He's going to wipe out the Romans. He's going to usher us into the kingdom of God in full has come on earth. This is why when he went to the cross, his followers were devastated. His followers were discouraged, confused. They're saying, wait a second. That's not point A to point B. Right? God, you show up, wipe out the bad guys, off into eternal 
glory with your people forever. So why this detour to the cross? Why this layover at the cross? This doesn't fit the direct route. But we see as the New Testament unfolds how, how necessary this zigzag was. Because if God is going to show up and wipe out the bad guys, who's that going to lead? That wouldn't leave any of us. So we all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so Jesus comes, and before he ushers us into his kingdom fully and the restored creation and new heavens and new earth, before we get there, he's saying, I first will die for the sins of the world. I'll take all the guilt and shame of evil and evildoers upon myself. I'll bear it on the cross so that people can be forgiven restored, reconciled to me. And then I will rise again to show my victory over the grave, this new creational kingdom that is now breaking into the world. And so friends, this is good news. This is good news that in Jesus, we can be forgiven of our sins. Whoever would trust in him can be forgiven, cleansed, restored, reconciled to a right relationship with God. And then given his spirit, given the hope of eternal life. And friends, we still look forward to the destination, don't we? We still look forward to point B, the new heavens and the new earth, restored creation. The eradication of sin and death and evil and tears. Eternal life with God in his good world with his people forever. So that's the hope of the Christian but we see that the gospel, the, the way of the cross was necessary. Friends, do you remember what it was like to travel when you were a kid? When you'd go on vacation, maybe you'd fly somewhere, drive out of town to visit family, or maybe just running errands around town. Do you remember as a kid how relatively easy it was? Or like someone else worried about the clock and if there was gas in the car, and when you had to be certain places, and how to get there, and were there snacks in your bag, and did you have clothes, and a change of clothes, or whatever it was that you needed, right? Someone else dealt with that, but then as an adult, you have to worry about that. Or your wife worries about that for you. I don't know. Um, or maybe you have to worry about that for, for your kids, right? It's a little more difficult as an adult. That's all on, on you now. But I think in some ways we need to return a bit to this approach we had as children to traveling. A bit of childlike faith we can more fully embrace. Where he said, you know what? I know kind of where we're going, but I don't know how we're going to get there. I don't know when we have to leave, and I don't know when the flight takes off, and I don't know what needs to be in my bag or what can't be in my bag. I don't know what clothes I have to pack, but my parents know, and they're going to they're gonna figure it out. They know. And so, so if there's some detours, if there's some zigzags rather than a direct line, if there's some layovers that are longer than expected, I, I'm not going to worry, I'm not going to fret, I'm not going to panic. I'm going to trust that, that my parents know what they're doing. They're going to get me where I need to go. And so in the same way, friends, we, we can trust our Father in heaven that, that he knows where he's taking us. He knows the way, he knows the route. And if we don't see or understand the reasons these detours are coming, we can trust him. Let's pray together.
God, we thank you for your word and these truths from Exodus chapter 13, how you lead your people. And Lord, we confess we don't always understand the, the zigzags or the detours or the layovers. And sometimes we'd, we'd prefer a more direct route to where you're taking us and what you have for us in life, Lord. But we, in humility, confess that uh, you know far better than we do. And Lord, we as your people will trust you and, and continue to believe that you are good, you are faithful, you have not abandoned us. Lord, so even, even in the, the layovers and detours of life, Lord, we just praise you and we trust you. We trust your plan. We thank you, Lord, that through the work of Jesus, we have been reconciled to you, not by works, but by faith. God, you have saved us by your grace. We have this relationship with you. And you are with us forever. Thank you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.